All right. Good morning. Glad tidings. Woo. Is the 1115 service awake today or what? All right. You enjoying the uh, humidity out there and all that good stuff? Uh, I love it. I love it. It's better than snow. It's better than snow. Come on. The Bible says give thanks in all circumstances, right? So I'm giving thanks for the heat today. Uh, we are excited about our summer series called uh, Culture Shock. Our goal is to turn uh, these these um, cultural challenges that we have into missional opportunities. And uh, next week is Father's Day weekend, and we'll be preaching. Yeah, it's awesome for dads. We're going to be preaching about um, fatherless sons and looking at that cultural challenge. Um, the following week, we're going to talk about men and uh, how if we can shape the man, we can shape the culture. So it's going to be fun and on and on it goes for this summer. So I hope you don't miss out on any weekend messages and small groups. Um, so glad you're here today. Uh, hey, listen, if you feel like an outsider today, like you're kind of an outsider with God, um, or maybe you're far from God or this church thing is new to you, uh, let me just let you know you're in the right place today. You are in the right place. Um, you may like, man, I don't fit church culture. Uh, this is new to me. Um, uh, I got good news. We're actually talking about you today. All right. We're going to talk about how we communicate with people who might be far from God or they're maybe outsiders. Um, and religion is kind of the last thing on their minds. So thanks for being with here, here with us this morning. Let me just uh, reflect a little bit about last week's message. Um, last week, we, we talked about how do we um, live in this world, but we're still not of the world. Um, and I went to John chapter 17, and it's the famous prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples. And within that prayer, we, we, Jesus really kind of lays out how we are to interact with our culture today. And he prayed to God the Father, and he prayed for three things. He said, Father, protect them. Father, sanctify them and Father, send them. And, and that's what we looked at last week. And we, we, we looked at specifically what it means to be sanctified or separated from the world, um, how God has separated us from the system of the world and the values of this world. But then he sends us back into the world. And um, and so today I want to look at what does it look like when we're sent back in and how do we engage with culture? Um, so I want you to, to listen to this. I came across this great book called Think Christianly, and it's written by Jonathan Morrow. And in his book, he, he writes this. He says this in the last century, he says there have been two general responses to the challenges that culture raises two general responses. The first response was for the church to withdraw and to attack the culture. In this case, Christians would isolate and insulate. They would hoist the drawbridge. They would batten down the hatches and they would fix the bayonets. The culture may be going to hell in a handbasket, but we aren't going to go down with it without a fight. All right. Many of the cultural wars in the last 40 years, though well intended, have not been redemptive or beneficial and have put too much hope in the ability of politics to bring about transformation. Moreover, it has generated an us versus them mentality. And this response is typically associated with the religious right. The religious right has done a lot of things right. 
But there are some things that the religious right has done that has hindered the advancement of the gospel in our culture. Um, if you if you're interested in that, there's a great article. Um, Google it. Google the success and failures of the religious right, and it'll be the first one that comes to your top of your screen. The other response that the church has is this to imitate and assimilate into culture. The understandable desire is to be relevant, to fit in, has caused those opting for this approach to lose much of their saltiness. Christians in this category are hard to distinguish from the culture in which they live. This posture is typically associated with the secular left. Okay, so we have two responses of the church over the last hundred years. One response is to withdraw from culture and attack everything that's wrong with it. The other response is to imitate culture and assimilate culture in hopes to trying to reach it, but just becoming just like it. Okay, so the intent of both um, responses uh, is absolutely a good intent. It's a good intent. All right. But what happens is the results are at best mixed and sometimes even hinder the gospel. So there has to be a better way to respond and engage into our culture. There has to be a biblical way that's just and it's something we're always working out. So every generation has to figure out what it looks like in in their generation. Um, And I want to look at um, I want to look at the Apostle Paul this morning and a few things he wrote. So the first place we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you want to look at it with me, you can, or you can look up at the screens. But Paul had some incredible things to say about reaching culture and engaging. He said, he said, though I am free and I belong to no one, he says, I have made myself a slave or a servant to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. So Paul here is, he's like, I am free Uh, I am free from sin. I have this freedom in Christ. I don't care what people think. I know who I am. I know my identity. Um, But I am going to become all things. I'm going to I'm going to become a slave to reach as many people as possible. And he says to the Jew, I'm going to become like a Jew to, to reach the Jew. And to the Gentile, I'm going to become like a Gentile to reach the Gentiles. And then he says this. He says in uh, verse 22, he says, let's have that next scripture. Thank you. Uh, To the weak, I become weak, he says, to win the weak. And then this is the powerful, powerful conclusion. He says here, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Now, do you see the motive in what he's saying? I want to reach people. I want to save people. And he says, I'll become a servant, a slave to everyone to win them. He says, I'll become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might be able to save them. So my generation growing up, um, we we stress the um, come out from among them and be separate. Okay. Uh, the world that I grew up in, the Christian world I grew up in, emphasized that verse of Scripture. Come out and be separate. Okay, today's emerging Christians, the younger generation, their, their Scripture is the one I just read. I want to become all things to all men, that by all possible means I might reach them. So two different verses found in the same Bible, and we're called to engage in culture. Uh, Christianity Today, they published an article entitled Christ, Culture, and the Generation Gap. And it was written by Brandon O'Brien. 
And it's about what younger and older Christians get right and what they get wrong about engaging culture. So, for example, this morning here in in this auditorium, there are uh, many of you who may you may be older. All right. You may not want to admit that, but it's okay. Uh, And then there are those of you who are younger here. All right. And uh, this this article addresses kind of what the the older get right and, and and wrong and what the younger get right and wrong about engaging culture. And he writes this about the younger generation. He says this. He says the younger generation, they they want to be relevant They want to speak the cultural idiom in order to connect with people outside of the church. And in direct contradiction to my elders, the author writes, the advice was not to smoke, drink or chew. Uh, Today, many young Christians enjoy puffing on pipes or cigars and sipping a pint of beer, especially if it is craft brewed in small batches. (laughs) All right. In my generation growing up, uh, we were told, Right. Don't smoke. Don't drink. Don't chew. And don't go out with girls who do. That was kind of the motto. (laughs) So but their idea is, hey, we can drink a little bit um, as long as we're responsible. We can puff on pipes if we want. uh, And we, you know, we're good with that. And the reason why is because participating in them, they believe, offers opportunities to actually engage in the culture. And they feel they are embracing a different teaching of Jesus where he's said to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So he goes on to say this. Trend trackers have noted that the emerging generation of young Christians actually rejects the value of separating from culture. And according to Gabe Lyons, author of The Next Christians, that's a book, they don't view themselves as a subculture. They don't want Christian versions of popular music and movies. They don't want to separate from the world. Instead, they want to walk or excuse me, to work as restorers, making the world better from the inside. Instead of proving the power of the gospel by retreating from culture, they want to demonstrate the power of the gospel through its ability to transform and redeem the world and its culture. For them, the validity of the faith is proven when its relevancy for the broader culture is demonstrated. Okay, so these emerging generate this emerging generation of Christians, they remind us all that Christian community has a long history of engaging, shaping and redeeming culture in which it finds itself. We're all going, that was a lot of information. (laughs) Too much information. Where's my coffee? I'm so glad I have mine. I seriously need it today. That and the Holy Ghost. How many of you know that's a great combination? So, so what do we do with all of this? We have to what, use what I call discerning engagement. Okay? We've got to come out and be separate in the way we think, we believe, our values, how we believe, uh, behave. But we also... Um, We need to engage in culture using discerning engagement. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in Colossae, he gave some discerning engagement. And uh, I call them rules of engagement with culture, rules of engagement. So let's take a look at them. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 2, he gives three rules of engagement. Verse number 2, he says this, devote yourselves to prayer right at the top. First rule of engagement, pray. Devote yourselves to prayer. We'll break it down in a minute. Being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message 
so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And then he says this, watch this, verse 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Three rules of engagement. The first thing he says is pray. The second thing, act. And the third thing, talk. So let's break it down and look at it. The first thing he says is pray. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer. Here's the deal. We know that prayer is, the, is, is how we connect heaven to earth, right? When we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're, we're, we're making this connection. We're praying, God, what's true in heaven may it be true on earth. And we, we enact that through our praying and through our faith. And so what happens is when we engage culture, the first thing we have to engage is prayer. When we engage in prayer, we are engaging the greatest gift God has given to the church today. And that is the spirit of the living God. It's in prayer. It's, it's where in prayer is where we connect with the Holy Spirit. And we hear things that we would not otherwise hear. We would know things about people that are far from God that we would not otherwise know. When Jesus ministered to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, he he had some insight into her history. (laughs) How did he get that insight? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Prayer connects heaven to earth. And Paul says the first thing you have to do when you engage culture is you have to engage in a lifestyle of prayer. And he says this, he says, be watchful. When you pray, that means be vigilant, to be alert, to be awake when you pray. Jesus said, watch and pray. When I was a kid, I was told to when you pray, you bow your head and you close your eyes. All right. How many of you taught to pray like that with your eyes closed? I remember one time I was at the dinner table and I thought, man, I just want to look around. So I put my head up. I'm looking around. Boom. I get hit in the face with a washcloth. (laughs) Put my head back down. Okay. And later on, I thought, how did he know that I had my eyes open? (laughs) So, you know, for a little kid, having your eyes closed is probably a good idea because you get distracted and you're like, hey, what's going on? You know, so I was taught pray with your eyes closed. And here Paul says, you know, um, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. You can pray with your eyes open. It works really well when you're driving. It does. You can do this. In fact, try this at your, your next small group meeting. At the time, at the end, when you pray together and pray for each other, everybody pray with your eyes open. Some of you are going to get freaked out by that. <laughs> pray with your eyes open, you know. So you'll see things and you'll pick up on things. So you can have an eye-to-eye conversation with somebody who's far from God. And you can be praying at the same time. Yeah, Fred, I'm looking at you. It's time to get right with God today, Fred. You can have an eyeball converse, eye-to-eye conversation and, and having a conversation with God at the same time. You can. 
You can be well, you can watch and, and pray. And a couple months ago, I don't know if I told this story or not, but I went to Arby's and, and I ordered my food and uh, they mix up the order a little bit. And as I'm standing there and the cashier's right there, I'm, I'm just saying, Lord, do you want to say anything to her? And I felt like God said, just, just let her know I'm so glad she didn't give up. That's it. So I said, you know, I just feel like God wants me to tell you this. I know this may sound kind of strange. Um, that's a good thing to say sometimes. It just doesn't make them freak out as much, you know, and just say, you know, I know this is a little strange, but I feel like he's wanting you to know that he is so glad that you didn't give up. And it wasn't about my order, by the way. And she was blown away by that. She goes, wow, wow, I needed to hear that. Thank you so much. And and I just drop in the seat and then I just keep going. See, there's this connection going on. All right. This connection and God's God says we're the ambassador. We're, we're taking the message from one kingdom and delivering it to another kingdom. That's what we're doing. And that's why Paul said, if you're going to engage in culture, you have to begin by engaging in prayer. And he said, when you pray, and he said, when you pray, pray that God would open up a door of opportunity. See, prayer will open up doors of opportunity with outsiders that 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 um, politics and policy cannot open. A lot of times we put our faith in, man, uh, you know, getting a getting a law changed or or something like that. And, and and he says here, pray that God would open a door. How many of you know God can open doors that that policies and politics can't open? He says, pray that I, that God would open a door for the message. And then he says, pray that we might be able to proclaim it clearly as we should. So all of this comes in play before we even go out and do anything. All right. We have prayer teams that go out, evangelism teams that go out and they pray before, during and after. They're always praying and God is always leading. The second thing that uh, Paul gives as a, um, a rule of engagement is to act. So first we pray and then we begin to act. In verse five, he says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Uh, my son, he's working two jobs this summer, and uh, at one particular job, he has a colleague who uh, asked him one day, he says, hey, Levi, he says, you smoke weed? And Levi said, no, man, I don't smoke weed. And he said this, he says, you're way too happy to not be smoking weed. Some of you need to hear people asking you that question. Do you smoke weed? Because you're way too happy to not be smoking weed. <laughs> Jesus said, let your light shine before others. Right? Some of you got to find that light switch and get that baby turned on. Uh, let your light shine that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Matthew five sixteen. Uh, we've got a, a neighbor who doesn't like our dog. And I've told you this story, but let me just say this. Um, our dog was barking early in the morning, waking our neighbor up. We got the text. We fixed the problem. We sent, we, we even, we sent them a, a card, apology, a gift card to Starbucks or somewhere. And uh, just trying to make it right, you know. And I remember at one point, this particular neighbor said to me, um, I can't believe a man of the cloth. I thought, wow, I've never been called a man of the cloth before, but I'm glad she knows I wear clothes or something, you know, 
but that's an old expression for clergy, uh, you know, ministers, pastors. I, I can't believe a man of the cloth would, would let his dog, you know, go on like this. And, and so, you know, so we tried to fix it and we did and things are working out. But here's what he says. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. See, you may not care about your dog barking, but your neighbor does. They may not hear anything you're saying because your actions are shouting louder than your words. So if your grass is two feet tall, you may not care that your grass is two feet tall. I don't care. God doesn't care. But if your neighbor cares, you should care. All right. Some of you are going to go home and mow your lawn today. (laughs) Right. And you're like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? I don't care what people think. Listen, I don't care what people think either, but I care what people think. I don't care what people think of me because I know who I am. I know whose I am. I know my identity in Christ. Right. So if they reject me, I'm okay with that. Right. But I do care what they think because because at times if we don't care what they think, it will hinder the gospel. It will close a door of opportunity. And Paul said, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Does that make sense? So before you say anything, you're praying before you say anything, you're acting, you're looking at your life. And I want you to go home and I want you to think about the relationships you have with people at work. Think about how you act around them and think about an act that you can do something good. Jesus said, let them see your good deeds so that they glorify God in heaven. Let them see something good. And maybe they'll ask you, have you been smoking weed? (laughs) Right? Seriously, what could you do? What could you do to make the most have an opportunity. Maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe you need to be generous in a way that they don't deserve. Maybe you need to encourage them in something when really you could blast them. Find something good that they're doing. Say something good. Do something good. Do something they would not expect. Do something that would cause them to go, what's going on there? Right. That's what he's talking about. The third thing, uh, the third thing that Paul says we can do um, is to talk first, pray, then act, then talk. And he says it like this. He says in verse six, let your conversation. How many of you know what a conversation is? It's not preaching. Okay, it's not uh, correcting. A conversation is a two-way dialogue. It's between at least two people. And when you have conversation, he says, let your conversation be full, full of grace. Do you know what that is? Undeserved favor. Say things, do things they don't deserve. Somebody nod your head. Okay. Let your conversation be full of grace. And then he says, season with salt. So that you may have an answer for everyone. Okay. Um. I don't know if you've ever had something to eat that had way too much salt in it. Okay, probably not, because what happened was you tasted it and then you spit it out and you didn't eat it. Right. So that's what happens. My wife is an incredible cook. She's amazing. I love her cooking. It's incredible. And and I don't I don't know what kind of method that you use when you cook. But she has this this um, I call it a, uh, a method that doesn't require measurement. Are you with me? You don't need those little measuring spoons and cups. You just need you just need a big pan. And you just get everything going. And you get it going. 
And you add a little of this and a little of that and a dash of this and a cup of that. And, and you're just shaking things up. How many of you like to shake things up in the kitchen? Yeah. All right. So she's shaking stuff up in the kitchen and she's good at it. And, and I don't, it reminds me of that, that character in, uh, in Charlie Brown. I think his name is Pigpen. Everywhere Pigpen goes, he's got this, like this, this dust just kind of around. Well, that's what the kitchen looks like when my wife's cooking. And it's like when she's done cooking, it's disaster. I mean, it's, there's stuff everywhere. It, the kitchen's a disaster, but the food isn't. The food's incredible. Okay, so that's my wife. She's amazing at this. All right, but every once in a while, something goes wrong. We're not, nobody's perfect, right? Every once in a while, something goes wrong. About a couple months ago, caught the stove on fire. No big deal, you know. We got it figured out. Um, another time, she was making uh, f- uh, fried rice. And I love fried rice. And she had all this going on. And she bought this new uh, soy sauce that she hadn't used before. And I don't know if she was on the phone or watching Netflix or what was going on. But man, she was going with the soy sauce. And this, and this thing was swimming in soy sauce. I mean, it was, it was swimming. And we got to the dinner table and we're all scooping out. And we get, and take first bite and everybody's like... <laughs> you know, listen, you eat mama's cooking mama's house right so i swallowed it and my wife said we can't eat this it's too salty (laughs) it was just full of salt you know and i made everybody eat it that's what dads do everybody's gonna eat this no we we didn't actually finish it but it was just full of salt and here's what happens sometimes in our in our presentation of the gospel and how we come across as believers we come across so full of salt when unbelievers take the first bite they spit it out they gag on it and they go you know what i'm never going to taste of christ again and so paul says this he says he says you don't need to be full of salt you need to be full of grace full of grace seasoned with salt okay full of grace seasoned with salt um that's the way God intends it. So I want to do something here. I want to, to look at, by the way, some of you need to cut back on the salt if you didn't get that, just in case you didn't get it. I want to look at the perception that outsiders have of Christianity. We're talking about the outsiders, engaging with them. Let's look at this slide. This is the perception outsiders have of Christianity, okay? So the outsiders that are between the ages of 16 and 29, these are big studies that have been done, they perceive Christianity. 91% perceive Christianity as anti-homosexual. By the way, this is our report card, okay? Just imagine this is your end-of-the-year report card. Uh, 80% of outsiders, uh, they see Christianity as judgmental. Uh, 85% say we're hypocritical, 78 say we're sheltered, 75% say we're way too political, and 70% say we are proselytizers, okay? means we're just always trying to shove the gospel down their throat, all right? So this is our report card. How do you feel about it? Some of you go, you know, that's great. That's great. I love this report card. <laughs> They need to know where we stand. Come on. I know there's a few of you out there that are going, yes. Really? Is that what we need them to know? See, first, they don't need to know where we stand. They need to know who we love. Full of grace, seasoned with salt. And by the way, I hope none of us in the room are anti-homosexual. 
I am not anti-homosexual. I love homosexuals. I love everybody, no matter what their sexual identity is. And so does God. Okay? Does the Bible have issues with the sin of homosexuality? Yes. Does God have issues with it? Yes. Should I have concerns and issues with it? Yes. Okay. So there's our report card. When my kids bring home a bad report card, you know what I do? I ground them for three weeks. You're grounded. Everybody, you're grounded. You might say, well, pastor, this doesn't apply to me. This doesn't apply to our context, apply to me. That applies to somebody else. Let me tell you a story. And I I read it a few weeks ago, um, a couple months ago, maybe. So this gal, she emails the church and she says this. I've been thinking about joining and returning to church. And well, today I sat outside your church and I was told to leave your church simply because I was playing Pokemon. Remember the story? I was told I worship demons and I support witchcraft. And she says, I was left speechless and my thoughts towards your church were wrong. Watch what she says. Had I been asked to come in and talk. Conversation full of grace, seasoned with salt. Had I been asked to come in and talk and maybe even explain why you felt this way in a calm manner, I would have understood. But my understanding now is maybe you are all like this, assuming and mean, judgmental people. I don't wish to be around any of that. If you think I am evil because I play a game, so be it. You and your church are now a disappointment, and I'm glad to stay away. Now, I don't know who had that interaction, and that's not the point. I didn't go on a witch hunt. Okay, I'm not going to do that. But I want you to know how this is how sometimes we come across. We need to understand how we're coming across to people who are outsiders, who are far from God. Okay. We need to know that when we're talking with them, this is their perception. That's why when the guy at the pool, I told you last week, when he asked me after cussing up a storm, what do you do? I didn't want to tell him I was a pastor. Because immediately he would jump to this perspective of me. I don't know about you, but I don't like that perspective. It's, it's a false perception of who Christ and his church is. But that's the perception that we have given to our world. So the church has an image problem. Okay? And some of this is a product of our own doing. One reason is is that we often don't say things well. We need to learn how to talk. Okay. We can sometimes come across hateful and ignorant and even arrogant at times. Not a good thing. Susie Dosanto, she's a member of our staff. She said this correction without connection is judgment. Correction without connection is judgment. We have to learn to connect first. Pastor Jason, he said this, love people in their behavior, not after their behavior has changed. Love people in their behavior. Can I tell you this? It's not the church's job to change behavior. It's not my job to change your behavior or the person who doesn't know God. That's not my job. My job is to to expose you to the goodness of God. Why? Because it's the goodness of God. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. 
right? It's like my son. How can you be so happy not smoking marijuana? Right? It's this kind of, it's this kind of um, goodness of God that is attractive to people who are far from him. Paul said this. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. And this young lady that I just told you about, she needed a lot of grace, not a lot of salt that day. It doesn't mean that we abandon truth or stop being distinctively Christian, but it does mean we need to change the tone of our conversations. Our tone must change from us against them to us for them. Our tone needs to change. Let me say again. It needs to change from us against them to us for them. Okay. And I want to talk about how we can do that. Um, and let's just begin with this. Can we begin with this? Sometimes Christians can come uh, across like they are against everything. We're against everything. What about this? No. What about that? No. It's no, 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 no. And we're, and here's the deal. Our, our culture, they, they know more about um, what we're against and what we're for. They need to know we're for justice and we're for the poor. We're for redemption. We're for reconciliation. They need to know that. And so many times they walk away and they, and they, they go, I know, I know what they're against, but I have no idea what the church is for. And one of the things that we need to stop bashing is the media. It's quiet in this place today. You know, I'm not a big media fan. I, I, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what to trust anymore. I don't know who's telling the truth. I don't know what's going on. I know the media doesn't always share my perspective, no matter which news outlet you look at. But the media is not the enemy. Okay? The people are not the enemy. There's an enemy behind it. And last week we learned Jesus prayed, Father, protect them from the evil one. There's an evil mind behind. Let's do our our, our warfare and prayer and not in in politics and not in protest. Let's begin it in prayer. Let's address where the real enemy is. Okay. All right. Some practical advice. Sometimes in, in different groups of people here today, some of you need to back off on the salt and some of you need to add some salt because you have not been putting any salt in. My wife made a loaf of bread once, forgot to put salt in it. I don't know if you've ever had bread without salt. Talk about losing its flavor. It was, she threw it away. I would eat it, you know. She threw it out. And what happens is, is um, uh, especially the younger Christian generation, they, they want to be relevant, relevant, relevant. And what happens is they're afraid to, to bring some truth and bring some word of God and bring some tough questions. You know what I'm saying? Don't be afraid of salt. Some of you need to hear that. Don't be afraid of salt. And some of you need to just back off on the salt. Okay, so here, let's wrap it up. He says, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let me ask you today, what comes before an answer? So what is Paul saying? Answer the questions that outsiders are asking. Well, how do you find out what questions they're asking? Ask them. Ask a question and listen. Okay? I think sometimes we we assume we know what they want. We assume people who have addictions want to be delivered. 
We assume people. Are you with me? Are you assume we assume people who have chosen a a a, a sexuality, a, a sexual identity like homosexual. We assume that they they don't really like it and they want to be delivered from that. We assume a lot of things. Jesus was great at asking questions to find out what people were thinking. And one time a blind man stumbled up to him and he asked him a powerful question, uh, a surprising question, I think. And he asked the man what? He said, what do you want? That's what he said. What do you want? You know, I would have thought this guy's blind. He wants to be healed. But Jesus did not assume that just because this guy was blind, he wanted to see. Just because people are spiritually blind does not necessarily mean they want to see. So instead of asking a spiritually blind person, do you want to see? Ask them, what do you want? And then respond to what they say. One time, uh, a father brought his son who was demonized, demon possessed. He brought his son to Jesus and the son manifested right there on the spot and was on the ground writhing and foaming and, and going crazy. And and Jesus is standing there and he's looking at this and, and he could have jumped right in and said, I'll fix this. You know, and he ended up fixing it. But the first thing he asked was a question. And he said, how long has he been like this? Turn to the father. How, how long has he been like this? In other words, what he was saying is, how long have you guys been suffering like this? Empathy, compassion. Christians want to fix things. You got a demon? Come here. I'll bind that spirit of this and that, and we'll get that thing out, fix you up, and send you on your way. And that's the approach we take. How long have you been suffering? How long has he been like this? See? Questions are powerful. Powerful. Jesus was asked a lot of questions. Deep questions. And a lot of times he would take the question and he would just put it right back to him. And he would say, how do you see it? Now this is going to let a lot of you off the hook today. Because some of you are afraid of tough questions. And if that's you, here's what happens. A tough question comes to you, you know what you do? You put it right back to them. How do you see it? What do you think about homosexuality? What do you think about homosexuality? Whew, got away from that one. <laughs> Whew. Right? You don't have to be the answer man. There's already a Bible answer man. He's on the radio. You don't need to be the one. You don't need to have all the answers. You just have to have some good questions in your pocket. And you'll find out quickly what's going on in that person's heart and their mind, their worldview. And then you can respond to that. They may not want to see. So don't pray for them to see. You know, you see somebody in a wheelchair. I've, I've gone up to people in wheelchairs and they'll say, don't pray for me. I'm okay. That's all right. Respect that. How can I pray for you? Well, my son is away from God. See, we assume as believers that we get the problem, we can see it, it's right there, and we know how to fix it. Ask questions. What do you want? Philip was a great evangelist. He was a deacon, became an evangelist, and uh, he went to Samaria. He led a big revival meeting in Samaria, and people were getting healed and saved, delivered. It was powerful, powerful meeting. And the, the, the Bible says that an angel came to Philip, and an angel of God spoke to Philip. And said, Philip, I want you to go to the road that heads south. Just get on that road. That's all he said. 
That's all Philip had. He was listening, though, just like Jesus was listening to the spirit. Here, Philip is listening and the angel says, get on this road. He gets on this road. He doesn't know why he's on this road, except the angel told him. And then the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to walk alongside that chariot. So Philip goes down to this chariot. Now he's walking along this chariot and he hears this guy in the chariot reading from Isaiah, the prophet. And he's walking along. He's hearing him read from Isaiah, the prophet. And then he asks a powerful question. Philip says, do you know what you're do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian, the treasurer of all of Ethiopia, he was the one in the chariot. And the treasurer said this. He goes, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? And then the Bible says he begged Philip to join him in the chariot to to explain the scriptures to him. And beginning in that very verse, the Bible says Philip began to tell him the good news of Jesus. So how did that all begin? Oh, he's just a great preacher. Oh, he understands the word of God. No, it began over here. He was listening First to the angel, then to the Holy Spirit, then to the Ethiopian, right? And then he opened his mouth. And it was with a question. Do you understand what you're reading? See, we, we feel like our, our role as Christians is to be tellers. Truth tellers, truth tellers, tell the truth, tell the truth. You know, tell people about Jesus. Yes. But we begin by listening. Paul said, full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer the questions that outsiders have. Questions are powerful. Paul, one last guy, um, knew how to ask powerful questions. At one point, he was in Athens. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17. He's in Athens, and as he's in Athens, this big city, he realizes that the city is just full of idols. And it grieves him. It says that he was distressed over all of these idols. So he went into the synagogues. He went into the marketplace, and he began to reason with them. And the Bible says, and I want you to look at it with me, in Acts 17, 22, he says at one point he had the opportunity to stand up and say something about it. So the Bible says Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said this. He said, people of Athens, that would be like me saying Husker fans. And everybody goes, yeah. So he says, people of Athens. And they're like, yes, we're Athenians. Right. And then he says, I see that in every way you are very religious. They're like, yeah, we like this guy. For I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship. Can I tell you, Paul studied the culture. He listened to the culture. He studied it. He looked at all of their objects of worship. And he says, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. (laughs) Here's an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. And what does Paul say? Aha, I found a bridge. I have found a bridge to connect uh, the, the, uh, the story of the gospel to this culture's story. They have what's called an unknown God. And I'm here to proclaim to you today what the unknown God is that you've been worshiping, that, you've been, that you even have a, a, an altar for. And then he went on. He said, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And he shared with them Christ. Christ is the unknown God. Now watch this. While he's explaining this, he actually begins to quote the pagan philosophers. He quotes two pagan philosophers and he quotes the one and he says, um, um, we are his offspring, speaking of Christ. He quotes another pagan philosopher and says, in him we live 
and move and have our being. How many of you ever heard that verse before? Acts chapter 17. Where did it come from? A pagan philosopher. He's quoting a pagan philosopher and he's saying, just as your pagan philosophers say that it's in him. we Let me tell you who it is that we live in. It's him we live and move and have our being. It's this unknown God that you have an altar to. Do you see? Now, all of that happened because Paul was a good listener. He was a good listener. He was a student of culture. Did you know that Jesus was a student of culture for 30 years before he opened his mouth? Now, how many of you know when he opened it, he had something to say? And he had some powerful questions to ask. So we're going to wrap it up today. And I want to talk about some powerful questions. Um, So again, what are the three rules of engagement? Pray, number one. Number two. And number three, talk. Okay. Those are the rules of engagement. And when we talk, we begin with listening uh, and asking powerful questions. Powerful questions um, could look like this. Um, They could be very personal. They could be cultural. They could be spiritual. Uh, So they could be very personal. They could be simple questions. When you meet somebody you don't know, um, you suspect they're far from God. You don't know. uh, And you just ask them, so what do you do? And they'll tell you about their career or their education. And you can ask them, well, how did you how did you decide to go on that career path? You just let them talk and you just find out who they are. You know, I mean, it's kind of basic, right? Um, But you could go a little deeper and you could you might get to the point where you're asking them a question like. um, Like. um, uh, Like, like, tell me your story. Put it out there. How many of you know everybody has a story? Good coffee, by the way. It's on sale after church. Everybody has a story. And most people, they like to tell their story. Just tell me your story. Just tell me about yourself. Tell me what would you like to get out of life? What is your greatest challenge right now? You're getting to know that person in a personal way. Maybe there's some cultural questions or challenges that come up in discussion about uh, maybe Islam in, in America or immigration or, or something like that. Instead of telling them what you think about it, just ask them, hey, how do you see it? What do you think? How does that make you feel? Right. If you had the power to change one thing in this world, what would you change? In other words, if you were God, what would you do? <laughs> If you had the power to change something in this world, what would you do? If you had the resources, unlimited resources, how would you spend those resources? You'll find out quickly what people's worldview is, what they believe, what they value. A good spiritual question you could ask somebody is this. If you could ask God one question, what would you ask God? It might be a why question. God, why did you allow my child to die. Right away, you're zooming in on a a question, a hurt, a wound. I'm so sorry that happened. I can't imagine the pain of losing a child. Tell me, how did that feel? You don't have to get into big theological, well, God worked it out because, you know, and You know, what the enemy meant for you, God will use. They just need somebody to feel with them at that point. 
not looking for an answer. They're not really asking you why, right? By the way, that was a question for God, not for you. See, we try to answer for God sometimes, and I don't think God appreciates it. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want you answering for me all the time. I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> Love you, but you don't know me that well. Right? I love God, but I don't know him that well. So sometimes the answer to tough questions is, I don't know. But I feel your pain. If you could ask God one question, what would you ask him? You'll find out a lot about people. How many of you are ready to win the world? Well, after today's message, I'm so ready, right? Huh. You know what I love? I love the word of God. I love the word of God. I love how God gives us, hey, you don't have to be afraid of the world. You don't have to run in fear from culture, afraid that you're going to become. He says, no, no, you can, you can embrace culture. You can engage in culture. Let's approach our culture with faith. I want you to stand with me if you would. How do you tend to respond to outsiders? How do you tend to respond? Do you tend to withdraw and then to attack them and their position? Is that your, your MO? Or do you respond to outsiders by kind of integrating with them and assimilating with them and, and you can't tell any difference? The salt has lost its saltiness? Or have you learned to use some discerning engagement when communicating with outsiders. I want to pray that God helps us in this area. Amen. We're going to break this down in our small groups throughout the week. And I hope you'll be able to be part of that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, God, we thank you today for your word and your spirit. God, we really want to represent you right. We want to be your ambassadors. Um, some of us, we need to cut back on the salt. And some of us, we need to add some salt. God, give us the discernment to know who we are and what we need to do. God, we pray today. We pray that you would open up doors of opportunity. God, we pray that you would give us the ability to proclaim things clearly. God, we ask that you would give us wisdom to act rightly with outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. And God, help us, help us, God, for our conversations to be full of grace and seasoned with salt. God, help us to be asking powerful questions and answering questions, God, that people are asking. Lord, I pray that the goodness of God would lead people to repentance. God, make us so attractive, God, not repelling, but attractive, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite our prayer workers to come. Give God a hand. God is good. Prayer workers, if you would come today. And uh, if, you, if you have somebody who is um, far from God that you want to pray with, pray for, rather, uh, I want to encourage you to come. If you're here today and you feel like you're the outsider, um, what I mean by that, you feel like you're far from God. And you want to you wanna come in, you want to be right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to come and pray with one of our workers as well. God bless you today.